Hey, uh, we're on a series of lessons today, and uh, uh, we're, we're kind of just tagging along, really. It's just a two-part uh, lesson series that we, we, we started last week on the heels of finishing up a series about where miracles live, and we kind of touched on something, the last installment of four on where miracles live, and we just kind of sensed that we should go a little bit deeper. We finished uh, the series Where Miracles Live. We're talking about the, that, that there's a miracle in your money. Uh, you need to listen to it because if, if you're new to the church or if you're a guest, please listen. We don't want anything from you. We're, we're going to receive an offering at the end of the service. If you want to give anything, that's great. But when we talk about money, we talk about finances, we talk about resources, we talk about debt and budgeting. And because Jesus talks so much about it himself, and the Bible is filled with it. You know, uh, when you look at the Bible the, 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 from Genesis to the book of Revelation, there's about 500 scriptures that talk about faith and about 500 scriptures that talk about prayer. How many believe those subjects are important? Yeah. Do you know there's over 2,000 scriptures that talk about money and resources and debt and what to do and what to think about it and contentment and all that stuff? So... Everybody in the room, you know, I know, when it comes to money, sometimes we get a little bit uneasy, and it comes to maybe somebody hitting some hot topics in our lives or pushing the button, and, and we've seen abuse, and we've seen misuse, and we've seen it done right, and we've seen it done wrong, and so today what we want to do is we want to just kind of just tag on what we did last week and kind of just talk again, just tie this up just in a little bit of a bow tie today, and uh, hopefully uh, give you some things to think about. Really, that's what I want to do, is just give you some things to think about that Jesus said mainly uh, when he was talking about the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to look at what Jesus said, and then we're going to look at what, what the Apostle Paul, we're going to look at one scripture from the book of Proverbs, what Solomon actually said. Then we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul, who's probably one of the most prominent persons that you should read after in the Bible, he wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. The epistles were written by the Apostle Paul, most of them, a lot of them, about two-thirds of them. So we're going to read a couple scriptures he said. Then we're going to find, finally, we're going to look at a, a, just a, a grouping of a couple of scriptures uh, talking about Jesus just the week before he was getting ready to go to heaven and, and be crucified and then resurrected three days later. Does that sound all right, everybody? Huh? Does that sound all right, everybody? All right. Come on, let's do this real quick. We don't do it every Sunday, but come on, let's just pray before we get in the Word. Is that all right? Let's do that. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name. You're already here because you said whatever we're gathered, you're gathered. You're right here in the midst of us. You're the head of the church, the body, so we just ask you for my life and everybody here. You give us ears to hear. Our heart would be open and enlarged that uh, we'd be able to uh, receive what you want us to receive today. I just thank you that you'd allow me just to speak with some clarity and, and just make it concisely and simply so that we all could understand and uh, your will would be done in our lives. For that, we just say amen and amen. Would you say that? Amen. I, I really believe this to be true, no matter if this is your first time with us or a couple times you're checking out church or you've been here thousands of times. I believe everybody in the room wants to live a generous life. I don't believe anybody doesn't. I don't believe there's anybody in the room that says, hey, you know that hoarder show? I want to be a hoarder. That's what I want to be. That's top of my agenda, to be a hoarder, just to grab newspapers and stuff and stack them all around the house when I can't find anything. I want it all for myself. I don't believe anybody in the room wakes up and says, that's what I want. And, and, and so if that's going to be the truth in our life, which I believe it is, it is in my life, I want to be more and more generous. I want to be more and more liberal. I'm more and more open-handed. I, I don't want to get all my toys like the kids downstairs that you see, the kids that are little babies, because inside everybody's nature, there is a nature to take, to take, not to give. We see it in our children. Your children are beautiful, mine and my grandchildren, they're beautiful. But when the toys go around the house and they get on the floor, everybody wants them to their self. And, and generosity has to be taught, and giving has to be taught, because it's not in our human nature. And Jesus knows that, and he came, and he began 
to, to show us how to live and how to be generous and how to live open-handed. And yet when we deal with stuff in our generation right now, we're just living, we're living in a mad time with money. Just money madness is running crazy. Most people are in debt beyond what they can pay, so we just pay minimum payments, and the debt keeps getting, credit card debt keeps getting perpetuated. God's got a better way for us, and, and we just want to look at some things from the Scripture and hopefully, again, maybe, maybe get you to think a little bit, get you to maybe move the ball like my vernacular, move the ball a little further down the field where, where you get to see what God really wants for you in my life. We, we finished with the Scripture last week from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 24. I want to read it from the New Living Translation. Write some notes, take some pictures. We'll have some, screens behind, or some Scriptures behind me and some key points on the screen behind me. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew, chapter 6. He said, No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Notice this emphatic statement. You cannot serve both God and money. Notice that last sentence there. You cannot serve both God and money. If there was a blank there, you know, for money, take money out of that. It was a blank. I think we would be sitting there if Jesus was saying, if he went, you cannot serve blank and what? I would say you cannot serve blank and you, know, you cannot serve God and the devil. You cannot serve God in yourself. But that's not what Jesus said in this teaching. He said there's only really two choices here concerning this specific teaching that he's teaching here. And the audience he's teaching to is Jewish people who really wanted to follow him. Uh, and just like you, I believe everybody in the room, you're here on a Sunday morning. You could be going home, you know, sitting home, making pancakes, doing whatever you want to do. But you're in church this morning. So I believe you really want God to be working in your life. Is that true? Huh? I believe that. I believe that. And so Jesus says here, and he's just talking to these people, just like he's talking to you and me. And he says, listen, you can't serve two masters. You're going to hate one to be devoted to the other. You're going to be you're loyal to one to despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So what Jesus did here, we found out last week, is that Jesus actually called money a master. Money is a master. And if we're not careful, money will master us instead of us mastering money. And, and, and it'll try to control you. It'll try to dominate you. It'll, it'll control your thoughts. It'll, it'll cause you to do crazy stuff. It'll, it'll, it'll cause people to spend crazy or, or to hoard crazy and to do all kinds of things because of mastery. And God doesn't want you to be mastered by anything. He wants you to be on top of everything. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so we said this last week. I'll say it one more time. The way to deal with money madness is to tell it who is master, and to show it who is master. You can't just tell it who's master. You, we can't just say, hey, when Pastor Kimberly's up here and lift her hands and Jesus, I magnify you, thank you, your love, your good, your Lord of my life. We have to show it who's master, and we show it who is master by our generosity and by our giving. Uh, Jesus actually said it a couple of scriptures before that, that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your heart always follows your treasure. It always does. Your treasure won't follow your heart. Your heart follows your treasure. So whatever you put your life towards, whatever you put your resources towards, is telling you that is the strongest direction that is in your heart right now. If it's your family, if it's your business, if it's finances, if it's whatever it is, whatever you're doing most with your life shows you what you love. That's good in a lot of ways, and it can be frightening in some ways. 
So, so Jesus is, is, is teaching this, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He's there on a hill, hillside with thousands of people, a multitude of people. He's already, you know, in chapter 5, and, and he's talking about praying and fasting and giving. And he comes to chapter 6, and, and he just breaks this stuff down now about you, you just can't serve God and, and, and money. There, there, there's got to be a, 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 dis, a distinction in your life of who is going to be the Lord of your life. Is money going to be your Lord, or am I going to? Am I going to be your Lord? Then he continues the teaching, so let's go in Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Uh, what you're going to find out in the next several verses, we're going to read the rest of this chapter. In the next several verses, Jesus keeping on teaching, six times he mentions the word worry or worrying. Worry or worrying. So, so, so listen to me. Key in on that. This is a key for us when it comes to money, when it comes to finances, when it comes to resources. Jesus is addressing the subject of worry. Worry is an anti-faith ingredient that will stop God from blessing your life. We'd we, we be divided. If, if we're worried, what, what that's saying is, I don't trust God will, will, will help me. I don't trust God's good. I, I'm here all alone. I, I, I punched my ticket, making Jesus the Lord of my life, but he's got no emphasis. He's got no impact. He's not going to take care of me. It's almost like we think Jesus is an absentee father. He's a bad father. Instead of what the scripture says is that he and God are a good, good father, that he wants to take care of you. So Jesus is addressing in these next verses the subject of worry, worry when it comes to finances. So, so just look on the screen real quick because here's some different thoughts about worry that I found in some different translations is that worry will divide your thoughts. Again, it will divide your thoughts. It divides your thoughts that God's good, God's bad. God cares, God doesn't care. But when we read this scripture, we're going to find out God is very concerned with everything you're concerned with. Worry will distract your focus. It'll get you going in, in all kinds of directions that are anti-productive. Worry will make you anxious. Worry will make you anxious. Worry does stuff in your body. Worry jacks up your nervous system. Worry causes you not to sleep at night. Worry causes you to pace the floor all night. Worry causes you to go to the doctor and take meds. Worry is not a thing you want in your life. Worry will add unnecessary pressure to your life. That's why Jesus is addressing this thing with lordship and money, because money moves us. Money is what we need. He knows it. He's going to talk about it, but he doesn't want you to live a life that's anxious and worried about resources that you so desperately need. He knows it. He's going to tell us this. He's going to tell us this. Look what he says in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Look at this now. They don't plant anything. They don't work. They don't get out in the field and harvest anything. They don't even save. Look at this note. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Are you not of more value than the birds? 
So Jesus just, in his teaching, you, and you'll recognize this when you read the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And by the way, Matthew, who hung out with Jesus, who was a tax collector, actually wrote this passage after Jesus was already resurrected. So Matthew's going back in his mind, thinking about what Jesus did for these three and a half years. And he's documenting this story. Matthew was there hearing this verbatim. And so he's documenting this for you and me. And he's remembering this story that Jesus told these people. And I'm sure Jesus is by the seashore. He's looking around. He's talking to all these people on this hillside, and he probably sees some birds fly by. And that's how Jesus taught. Look at these birds. Uh, God cares for you more than these birds. They don't plant anything. They don't reap anything. They don't even save. Yet God the Father takes care of them. If he takes care of them, won't he take care of you? So don't worry. Don't be mad about Money, when God already said, I will take care of you. Hmm. Man, these birds, man, they don't do anything for their present. They don't do anything for their future. Uh, Their livelihood isn't based on anything that they do. I want to just get you thinking for this for a moment, because we're going to look at another another thought, another thought in just a moment from the Apostle Paul. Uh, the, The birds don't do anything, and yet God says, I feed them. You know what that's called in simplistic terms for us and our relationship with God Almighty? This is called grace. You don't do anything to receive the blessing of God. You don't do anything for your salvation other than just simply saying yes to Him, and He gives you unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. He places you in right standing with the Father like you never sinned. Come on, somebody, say great grace. That's great grace. And so we see in creation right here, we see in creation that God says these birds don't sow, these birds don't plant, these birds don't even save. They don't store up for a rainy day. Yet my grace in the Genesis account of how I've created creation and heavens and earth, I've made a way for them to be provided for. Amazing. Come on, I don't know about you, but at my house, we like to watch Discovery Channel and Planet Earth and all that. And I'm going around looking at Planet Earth and I'm going, God, you're amazing how you take care of creation. And if you'll take the, the biggest animal in the ocean is this huge whale, blue whale, enormous in feet. And they eat the smallest little creatures called krill. And yet they're sustained by you. How do you do that? And I see that now and I go, God, how could I ever doubt of your care and your value for me? I'm not going to worry. Come on, look at your neighbor and tell him that. I'm not going to worry. Come on, just not going to worry. Come on, get that worried look off your face this morning. I'm not going to worry, right? God said he'd feed them. God said he'd feed them. No, 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 notice, notice, here's where we're going. Here's where we're going. Don't miss this. For the believer, being fed or just having your needs met is not enough. God says he's going to feed and take care of the birds. So for the believer, for the Christian, for the person who is maturing in their faith with God... Having your needs met, though, is not enough. So it's not just me and my four and no more. It's me and my four and how many more? Who else can I bless? Who else can I be open-handed with? Because, God, you're just not going to feed me. You want my life. Here's the thought. God wants your life to be a resource for others. That's what God wants. He wants your life to be a resource for other people. So the birds don't plant, the birds don't gather, and the birds don't save. 
But you as a believer, you should plant, you should gather, and you should save. So for your life and your family's life, but also so that you can be a resource for other people. Because, come on, you're better than a bird. Come on, that's good news this morning. Man, so, so check out what Jesus keeps saying, though. Then he says in verse 27, which of you by worry, and here we are again, can add a, a cubit to a statue? Can, can you add just an inch to your life, we'd say? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil or spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. So, so Jesus then brings, the, brings to this Jewish audience, uh, brings to them the, uh, the richest man that ever lived, which is called Solomon, to compare to the resources that he has. It looks, look, you know Solomon, he was the richest man alive. You guys remember him? But, but look at these lilies. Come on, think with me. You're on, the, you're on the side of this mountain, and you're listening to Jesus, and he's just saying, look at the lilies, look at these flowers here. They don't toil, they don't spin, they don't struggle to survive. They're not frustrated with life. Not frustrated. <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're not trying to make a living. I'm just up here trying to make a living. When Jesus is the Lord of your life, why are you just trying to make a living? The flowers receive sunlight. The flowers receive rain. The flowers are planted in the earth that they had nothing to do with. How does that come about? God gives it freely by His grace. Man. And if God so clothes, verse 30, the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Little faith means short-bursted faith or underdeveloped faith. So Jesus is telling me and Jesus is telling you, if you spend most of your day and most of your months and most of your years worrying about your rent, about the job, about housing, about paying for things, then really what you've got, what Jesus says, I didn't say it, he says, and I've got to look at this in my own life, Gary, your faith is just underdeveloped. You've got short-bursted faith. You believe and then you don't believe and you're worrying. And I'm trying to get the worry out of your life. Uh, what's amazing about this is what Jesus said, that God closed the grass. And what he's talking about is the flowers and all those grasses that, that, that is today and tomorrow. It's, it's brown. It's, it's useless, right? It's dried up. And, and it's gathered to put in the oven. So, so what God is telling us today is that what's beautiful today but dies tomorrow or is burned up and thrown away, uh, let, let's think about that for a second because God is saying what you need today, what, what you need today, I have today. And I also have what you need tomorrow. I have what you need today and I have what you need tomorrow. So I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to go through my whole life. And I'm not going to be anxious. And I'm not going to want what you have. I'm not going to want what anybody else has. I, I, I want to make sure that my life is understanding that God's my Father. And He cares for me. And I can see the birds. And I can see the flowers. I don't have to toil, be anxious about what's going on in my life right now. Because He cares for me. And even though the grass comes up and, and it served its purpose... The car served its purpose, but it's got 125,000 miles on it, and it's done. Guess what? God's got another car. And I'm in the job market, and I walked in one morning, and they gave me a pink slip, and I don't have to freak out. I don't have to be crazy, because that's what happened today. God's got something else tomorrow. Come on, everybody. 
let's, let's develop our faith in that way. Therefore, look at verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles, Gentiles just simply mean non-Jews, people who don't know God, people who don't know Jesus. They're all seeking those things. For your heavenly Father knows what you need of these, that you need all these things. You, you need all these things. But he tells us, verse 30, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness or right standing with him. And he will add all these things to you. So, so we don't seek things. We seek God. We seek His will. We seek His purpose. He knows what we need. That's what He tells us. I know what you need. So, so it's not saying, I know what you need and never ask me. No, we know from scriptures beside this that He says, ask me what you need. Let me, talk to me. Ask me. Because there's faith in you coming to God asking Him to supply what you need. But, but He says we don't seek things. We're, we're not after things to seek. We're, we're not after money. We're not after, we're after, we're after Him. So, so, so when we seek Him and we put Him first place in our life, he says he will add what you need to your life. So, so what we see from this entire passage about not worrying and looking at the birds and looking at the flowers and not toiling and getting frustrated where we're at and not being anxious is this. Here's the message in this entire passage is that God will take care of you. That, that's, that's the overwhelming thought. God will take care of you so you take care of what God loves. God will take care of you, so you take care of what God loves. You take care of what He loves. And the question then would be, what does He love? He loves His church, and He loves the world. That's what He loves. He loves the church. The church is called His bride. His bride. That's what we're called. We're called the bride of Christ. That Jesus is now the groomsman. And we have been betrothed to Him. And God is saying, Jesus, as a great husband, is going to take care of His church, the bride. Right? So, so we, we, we then, we then take care of what he loves. We take care of others. We take care of the church and we take care of the world because we know the scripture. God so loved, come on somebody, the world. So if he loves the world, I gotta take care of what he loves. I gotta take care of what he loves. Now, now, I wanna look, look real quick over the book of Levit Leviticus if you can find it or, or I've got it up here on the screen for you. This is what God said uh, to, to the prophets, and God said to Moses, and God said to the nation of Israel. I, I think it's really interesting, and maybe this will help someone today. It, it says in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, verse 32, it says, When you harvest crops, they're all agricultural-minded people, right? When you harvest crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields. And do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor. And the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God. That, that's kind of crazy situation. Kind of crazy thing. Uh, you, you planted a one-acre plot, and, and you 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 you've sowed it, you've watered it. You know, I mean, just in this day, the rain would water it, and now it's grown. It's time to harvest it. And so, so you, you're, you're gathering all the wheat, and and God says this to to the nation of Israel uh, on the edges of all that one-acre plot. Don't go to the edge. Don't gather all the produce from the edge. Leave that there. And then when the harvesters come in, when the harvesters come in, and they've got some stuff that falls from their sack, leave it there for the poor. Leave it there. Listen, the reason so many of us are in the room are worried is because we live right up to the edge of our lives financially. There's no margin. There's no margin. If the refrigerator breaks down, if, if the car, if we need tires, we, we're freaking out. 
There's no margin in our lives. We, 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 we have no edge. We have no edge. There's no room. There's no room in our lives. So we live stressed out. We, we live worked up. And, and yet the nation of Israel, God says, leave room on the edges for others. Leave room on the edges. Now, some of y'all that know maybe a couple of scriptures in the Old Testament, there's a book called Ruth. And, and Ruth, um, uh, you just take too long to tell the whole story. R- Ruth lost her husband, and, and her and her mother-in-law went back to her mother-in-law's home, uh, home which was in the nation of Israel. And they, they wind up going to uh, uh, getting, uh, uh, gathering produce, and just like what the scripture says, gathering grain from the field of a guy called Boaz. And, and Boaz was a wealthy landowner, and Boaz actually told his, his employees to do this. Leave the grain on the side of the fields. And then they actually saw Ruth, who was there, gathering grain for her and her mother-in-law. And Boaz told the workers, don't mess with that girl. She's a Moabitess. She's a foreigner. Don't mess with her. Let her gather and let her bring in the grain for her and her, and her mother. Boaz was a godly man. And Boaz knew to, to please God, I've got to have margin in my life. I've got to be a person who, 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 who allows the grain in my life to be extended beyond just me. Everything in my life isn't just for my life. Everything in my life. My paycheck isn't mine. We talked about this last, last week. You're not an owner. You're a manager. So, so I don't get 100%. I don't get even... I, I, we, 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 we're thinking wrong. And we're thinking wrong. We're, we're managers, not owners. And so if God says, Gary, leave margin in your life. Call tithing and offerings and giving to the poor and helping anybody in need. And just being generous, whatever I put on your heart. Leave margin. It is for His goodness and it is for His glory. And it also is to break greed off my life. And allow myself to be directed to Him. I'm trusting you again. I need you in my life. I, I, if you'll take care of the birds, if you'll take care of the flowers, you're going to take care, take care of me, me. And what's interesting with this story was that Boaz wound up marrying Ruth. So, so listen to me. I believe it to be true that your future is tied to your generosity. I believe that with all my heart, that your future is directly tied to your generosity. I'm not saying that, 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 it, that if you'll give $10 in the offering plate, that God's going to give you a date next week. Come on, everybody. I don't think that's the way it's going to make. <laughs> but your future is tied to your generosity, that God's going to work in your life. God's going to do things for you that money can't do. I, I believe that. There'll be things that happen with your family, things that happen in your future, things that happen where you just see the favor of God working in your life just by living an open-handed, open-hearted life and living a generous life. Can somebody say amen to that? Look at Proverbs 11, chapter 24, or verse, chapter 24, verse 24, or chapter 11, verse 24, excuse me. Uh, the word of the generous gets larger and larger. Come on, let's read this out loud. Let's read this. Come on, one, two, three. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Come on, don't you want that in your life? And you know, so the question would be, is your world getting larger or is your world shrinking? Is it inflation and is it cost and it is this and, and, and it is. Stuff's going up. But listen to me. God says your field will keep increasing. Your field will keep enlarging if you extend yourself and live within your means and live within your bounds and have margin in your life for other people and what I've got for your life. I believe the best days are days ahead. Come on, everybody. 
that'd be a good place to clap. Yeah, let's do that right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it comes to talking about resources and money, you know, uh, um, I, I, I want to make sure that we come across that we're not asking anything from you. I've been in messages and with, with ministries and different uh, um, organizations, and I really felt like, wow, they just want to, I felt like, I felt like a timeshare. Come on, have you ever been to a timeshare thing? Man, they're grinding me. Man, they're grinding me. And uh, God bless all the car salesmen. I don't know if there's car salesmen in the room, but, but I've been in some car sales pit things. I'm like going, dear God, I hate it. I just want to buy a car online. Come on, somebody. Hit a button. Here's what I'll pay, right? Because I, just, I, I, I don't like that thing. And so when it comes to giving, when it comes to resources, please don't, don't think that to be true here. That's not our heart. That's not my intent. Um, I grew up, I told you this last week, I grew up, and I've told you this many times, I grew up in an environment where this was second nature. My mom, my dad, my grandparents tithed. I've seen the hand of God and blessing and favor and, and generosity. And so Kimberly as well, her parents, her grandparents, this was something that was just so easy for all of us to do. And so, so maybe that's not your case. Maybe you're like the first person that, 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 that in your family that you've heard this. So, so listen, all I'm asking you to do is just, just begin. Begin being generous. Begin, begin seeking God. Begin your hand being open to the things that God, God loves, His church. God loves His church, and God loves the world. And if you'll do that, and, and you won't go through your life just being stingy and, and miserly and, 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 and holding things to yourself, uh, I tell you what, your world's going to enlarge. Your world's going to get bigger and bigger. I, I really believe that. I told you we're going to read from uh, the New Testament from the Apostle Paul, so let me go there real quick from Second Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to kind of just parachute right into this chapter. The Apostle Paul in chapter 8 and chapter 9 is talking about finances. We said this last week. Paul talks to the church at Corinth, and he's really showing them what the churches of Macedonia did, how their generosity should spur them on. Well, he continues the dialogue in chapter 9, and here's what he says about God, about God, your Father. The same God the Corinthians serve is your God, your Father. Here's what he says. Now may he, who is God the Father, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, he will supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Righteousness just simply means right standing with God. Notice what it says. Again, he supplies seed to sow and bread to eat. God supplies seed to sow, that's giving, and bread to eat. That, that's what you need. That's your rent. That's your mortgage. That's paying the car. That's buying shoes. That's buying food. That's paying your bills. He gives you seed to sow, and he gives you bread to eat. Not either or, both and. Not either or, both and. So if he says God is supplying this to every person, what you should give and what you should eat, the question constantly in my mind and Kimberly's mind is, okay, here's the question after you get to a certain point and has to continually be asked, okay, God, what's my seed to give and what's my bread to eat? Our desire in the next years of our life is to have less bread to eat and more seed to sow. We want to position our life where our giving increases, not our expenses increase. 
where we can be more generous. And I know you want that too. So here's what God says. Here's what God says. I am going to give you seed to sow. So listen to me today. Everybody in the room that makes Jesus the Lord of their life, and if you haven't made him Lord of your life, we're going to give you an opportunity in about 15 minutes when we close in prayer. God has already given you seed to sow and bread for food. Now, some of us, the field of our life is not just one acre. We're overextended into somebody else's field. And we've got to pull back our spending, and we've got to get some stuff in check. But we've got margin. But here's God's plan. God's plan right now in your life is seed to sow and bread to eat. Now, what we know about seed is that seed is useless unless it's planted. Seed, he says, is not multiplied unless it's planted. God never said, Gary, friend in the room, Mario, I'm going to multiply your bread. Mm -mm. You multiply your bread. How? By hard work and labor and the thing God's called you to do for a living. That's how your bread is multiplied. God says he's going to multiply the seed you sow. He's going to multiply the seed you sow. So what we find from this scripture is that God supplies, number one. God multiplies, number two, he said it. And God increases the seed we sow. How? Here's what I want to know. How do you do it? Well, um, some of y'all know the eighth wonder of the world. It's called compound interest. It's called over time when you invest money in something, it just picks up, picks up, picks up, picks up. When I was a kid, I think I told you this before, the guy told me, if you'll put $100 away until you're 63 or 65, that $100 at the rate of return will be a million dollars. Wow. I wish every 18-year-old you'd start doing that right now. Get a mutual fund, get someone to stock $100 away for the rest of your life. Don't go to Starbucks once a week. That's a $10 drink. Come on, somebody right there. And just sow some money. But how's God going to do this? How's God going to do this? We see it in nature. We see it just in, in business that money multiplies. We found out last week or the week before about the manager who had three servants. He gave one five, one two, one one, talents, money. And he said, go do business. And they multiplied it. They doubled it. And the owner said, God talking, well done, good and faithful servant. So we know God likes multiplication. God likes increase. God doesn't like shortage. God doesn't like deficits in your and my life because it causes worry. It causes anxiousness. It causes heartache. And what they tell us is that money is one of the leading causes or lack of it concerning marriages breaking up. We know that. So how's God going to do it? How's God giving me seed to sow and bread to eat? How's God going to supply and multiply the seed I've sown, and he's going to increase the fruit. I can't figure it out. Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Everything you want to give toward, everything that's on your heart, God says, I have given you this thing called grace. The way I take care of the birds is by grace. They don't sow. They don't plant. They don't save. Look at the flowers. They don't, call, they, don't, they don't do anything for the rain. They don't do anything for the sun. Yet I take care of them. Guess how I'm going to take care of you? It is my grace. All 
grace will abound toward you, that you have all sufficiency right now in all things, and you can have an abundance for everything God wants you to give toward. Come on, somebody say amen there. Sufficiency is about your needs being met. Abundance is about you being able to give toward others. It's not just the birds. God, just bless me, bless me, bless me. Feed me, feed me, feed me. No, I want to be a resource for other people. And here's how. Your grace in my life, that I live within margin, and I live and I have edge on the edge of my life where I can be generous and I can feed other people and I can give and I can tithe and I can give offerings and I can support the poor and I can do whatever you want me to do with the money and the resources you've given me. And your grace is abounding in my life. Come on, somebody say amen and amen. The triumphal entry of Jesus, uh, we call it Palm Sunday. Uh, it's the week before uh, Easter that Jesus actually, uh, uh, right before he's going to be crucified, he, he, he's getting ready to come into Jerusalem. And uh, uh, all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record this event. It, it, it's, a, it, it's a monumental event that, that you, you all know. It was actually prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9 that the Messiah was going to be coming into Jerusalem riding on a colt, riding on a donkey. Not a horse colt, but a donkey colt, a one-year-old, a colt that had never been ridden before. And so here's what happens in Mark chapter 11. Just look at it here on the screen real quick with me. Jesus says to these two disciples, uh, he's getting ready, to, he knows this is happening, getting ready to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus says to them, go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you've entered, you're going to find a colt tied, or this donkey tied, on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it to me. And if anyone says to you, why, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately, he'll send it, he'll give it to you. Look at verse 7. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw the clothes on it, and he sat on it. And they spread their clothes on the road. They took off their robes and they spread them on the road. And others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. Spread them on the road. And then those who went before him and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's talk about this for just a second in closing. Because I see this, I don't know about you, but, but I see Jesus telling these guys what to do because they're going to fulfill a prophetic declaration of Jesus coming into the city riding on a colt that had never been ridden before. But, but the problem is, is that Jesus doesn't own a colt, and the disciples own a colt. They've got to get somebody's colt. And so they tell him to go to the city, and there's these two guys hanging, these guys hanging out there, and, and, and come on, you know, uh, these disciples, a lot of people thought they were shady anyway. And somebody comes up to the, to the, the, the stall next to a building and starts untying the colt, right? And what, what's the dude say? Hey, man, what are you doing? Come on, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and what's he say? He, he says, uh, the Lord has need of it. Come on, how many of you, somebody, somebody comes by your car and just says, hey, is that your car? Come on. And it says, the Lord has need of it. How, come, how, how many of you know you're going to be hitting somebody in the head, right? A little fisticuffs going on. And, and immediately it says he's going to send it. He's going to send it. The, the Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it. Of what you have. Listen to me. The Lord. The Lord. I see four things here. Maybe there's more, but I see four things I think that are noteworthy in this story. Look on the screen. Number one, your generosity brings Jesus to people. 
The donkey was a tool to move Jesus towards other people. Your generosity is bringing Jesus to people. The more money that's given to nonprofits and churches and, and like ours, the more we can do to reach people just like you, teach your kids and do outreach events and things. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. Your generosity brings Jesus to people. Secondly, your generosity elevates Jesus. I think this is important. They took Jesus and they put him on the donkey, above, above the people. Jesus was riding above the crowd where he could be seen. Where he can be seen. Your generosity allows Jesus to be the center and the focus of people's lives. Third thought, I think, is that your generosity draws attention to Jesus. Again, we read the story. It just draws attention to him. When they saw Jesus coming in, again, fulfilling the prophetic declaration, they took off their robes and they put, them, put their clothes on the street. Some cut off the palm branches and laid them. It, it just drew attention to Jesus. They began worshiping Jesus. It draws attention to him. And that thirdly, or fourthly, I should say, is that your generosity really furthers Jesus' mission. I can't say it strongly enough. Your generosity furthers his mission. The donkey brought Jesus to Jerusalem to fulfill prophecy. To fulfill prophecy. So when we talk about your giving, we talk about what God's asking you and me to do, and we talk about not worrying, we talk about look at the birds and look at the flowers and, and not being concerned and, and having margin in my life and, and, and trusting that God's going to supply and give me seed to sow and bread to eat and, and that His grace is going to abound toward me. And that I'm, I, I, Right now I have sufficiency. I've got to figure out how to manage and I've got to figure out how to budget and, and stay, within the, stay within the field that God's got for me. He, he can enlarge my field and I'm all... I'm all for that, but I've got to have margin in my life right now before he'll do that. And the thought is, is that, Gary, you've got to loose your donkey. You've got to loose your donkey. That's not your donkey. The resources I've blessed you with, the things that I've put inside your life, everything in your life comes from me. Just like me feeding the birds and taking care of the flowers. I am your source. And if I ask you for a donkey, I need your donkey. Your donkey, your colt, is going to bring me to other people. Your donkey is going to elevate me. Your donkey is going to draw attention to me. Your donkey, as you give, is going to further my mission. I'm asking for your donkey. So here's what we got to do. We've got to loose it. We've got to untie it. We've got to break the hold of it in our life. We've got to say, I'm not going to love money. I'm going to love God. I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to use that money. That money is not going to talk to me anymore. I'm not going to allow it to dominate my life. I'm going to let my life be led and dominated by God and His Word. Anybody on game and on point for that? Yeah. Come on. Father God, bow your head. Would you do that? I pray today that we... Live this out. It wouldn't just be that I would nod my head and say yes, but I would actually do it in principle and practice. Father, we know and we believe that everybody wants to live a generous life. And maybe we've been taught crazy things about money and we've seen abuses. But, Father God, I believe your truth is going to set us free in this room. 
that you want us to be a resource for other people. You want us to be a resource for our church and for others around. We're not going to live a worried life and a divided life and a distracted life and not going to live anxious. We're going to serve you, Father God, and we're going to use money. We're going to show money who's master. We're going to tell money who's master. Help us, Father, today. Come on, with your head bowed, your eyes closed, no one looking around. Come on, just give everyone the right to privacy. What we do around here at the end of every service is we give you an opportunity to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Maybe you're here for the first time. That would be you. Maybe you've been here for several times. That, that would be you as well. The decision to make Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, I'm not asking you if you want to join the church. I think